0: This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit chalcedon.edu to purchase this book, Tithing and Dominion, by Edward A. Powell and Russis John Rushdoony. copyright 1979, published by Ross House Books Incorporated. Chapter 3. Is Tithing Still the Law? Before going further in our study of the tithe, it is necessary to discuss briefly the objections to tithing. There are many who hold that tithing is no longer obligatory, but was abolished, together with the rest of the law, by the great dividing fact of history, the cross. This position rests, wherever held, on some form of dispensationalism. It divides the scriptures into two or more eras which are totally different, even to the manner of salvation in some cases, and holds that the law is now invalid, because we are under grace. Salvation, however, in all of scripture, is by God's sovereign grace alone. Man was never saved by works of law in any era of history. Scripture does not give us two plans of salvation, but only one. Before Christ's coming, salvation by his vicarious sacrifice was set forth in the sacrificial system. Man was saved, not by works, but by the atoning blood of the Lamb, set forth before his coming in the unblemished animal sacrifice. The believer placed his hands on the animal to be sacrificed, confessed his sins, and thanked God that he provided for the vicarious sacrifice of the innocent one for his salvation. The law saved no man, in Eden, Israel, or in the church. The law sets forth the righteousness of God. It is the holiness code, the way of holiness or sanctification. It declares that this is the life of faith, the life of obedience. This is the way to serve God. The way of salvation does not vary in the Bible. It is always by sovereign grace. The way of holiness does not change in the Bible. It is by obedience to God's law. Dispensationalism, whether in its milder or extremer forms, does violence to the meaning and unity of Scripture. Those who deny the law do so supposedly in the name of a higher way, now open to Christians. Thus, one dispensationalist, Peter A. Verhef, writes, The law declares one day out of seven to be holy unto the Lord. The Spirit sanctifies all seven of them. The law sets apart one tribe out of twelve to serve as priests. The Spirit declares the whole congregation to be priests, 1 Peter 2.9. The law demands a tenth part of the possessions. The Spirit translates us to become God's possession with all that we have for 100%. Everything belongs to Him. We are but stewards who will have to give an account of every dime we possess, Thus, for Verhef, the tithe is not law for us. But this is an amazing statement for a university professor of the Old Testament to make. Let us examine his comments. First, there is a supposed difference between the law age and the gospel age, to use these common but illegitimate terms, in that, quote, The law declares one day out of seven to be holy unto the Lord. The Spirit sanctifies all seven of them, end quote. How so? The law is emphatic over and over again, quote, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord, your God, am holy, Leviticus 19.2. St. Peter simply repeats the law, declaring, quote, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 All our lives, days, and activities are required to be holy in all of Scripture. There is no difference here between the Old and New Testaments. One day in seven is to be set aside for rest, but all seven must be given over to holiness. All are sanctified unto the Lord and by His Spirit. Verhof confuses the ideas of rest and holiness. They are related but clearly separate. Not only rest, but work also must be holy. Second, Verhof says, The law sets apart one tribe out of twelve to serve as priests. The Spirit declares the whole congregation to be priests. 1 Peter 2.9 This is an amazing statement, amazing in its dishonesty and falsity. Surely Verhof knows that here too Peter is citing the law. Note what the Old Testament declares and how Peter summarizes it. Quote, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Quote. Exodus 195 5-6 But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day, end quote. Deuteronomy 4.20 Quote, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth, end quote. Deuteronomy 7.6 Quote, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself, above all the nations that are upon the earth, End quote. Deuteronomy 14.2 And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee, that thou should keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be a holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. End quote. Deuteronomy 26.18-19 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light first peter two nine to be a holy people means to be a separated people, a dedicated or a priestly people. this the old Israel was, and this the new Israel of God now is. then a professional clergy existed, and today one also exists. what exodus nineteen six says first peter two nine repeats our future is grim indeed, and God's judgment certain, when the Church has as its faithful and Reformed scholars men such as Verhef. Third, Verhef says, quote, The law demands the tenth part of all possessions. The Spirit translates us to become God's possessions, with all that we have, for one hundred percent. Everything belongs to Him. We are but stewards, who will have to give account of every dime we possess. Quote. This is a masterpiece, but not of grace. The refusal to tithe is turned into a virtue, as a sign that somehow, by withholding our tithe, we are giving the Lord everything. We have already seen that Deuteronomy 4.20 speaks of Israel as God's inheritance or possession, Deuteronomy 14.2 as a unique or peculiar people unto the Lord, i.e. as his own, and so on. In every age, God's elect are his possession in the fullest sense of the word. But this is not all. Surely a professor of Old Testament should know that the first fruits and the tithe represent the dedication of all the harvest, and of all our income, persons, and lives to the Lord. The whole point of the giving of the first fruits, the firstlings of the flock, and the tenth, not the leftover but the first portion to the Lord, means the dedication of all to the Lord. At one point, Verhef is right. We are, quote, God's possessions with all that we have for 100%. Everything belongs to Him. We are but stewards who will have to give an account of every dime we possess, end quote. Precisely, and this is why God requires the tithe of us, our first fruits. His claim on us is prior and total. We acknowledge that claim by giving God the tithe he requires of us by law. If we give him priority in our lives, time, work, and income, then we have indeed manifested thereby that we are truly his possessions. If we deny him his tithe, then our professions are indeed empty ones. I am normally a man given to hospitality on biblical grounds. On the grounds of Scripture, I ordered a man to leave my house last year. He climaxed his expositions of Phariseeism by declaring that he believed in being holy the Lord's, and he believed in the principle of tithing, but not in the, quote, legalistic practice thereof. I asked him how much he gave, and he refused to answer, but it became apparent from his wife's responses that he gave almost nothing. Can we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in principle, but not in practice? Can we believe in being faithful to our wives in principle, but not in practice, without being either liars or hypocrites? Can we declare that we are the lords in principle, without the practice of tithing, and still be in his favor? I cannot believe it.